Issues. I got to keep it a little bit on the download to keep with the mellowness of the Carvel ice cream. And uh, for anyone who grew up on the East Coast of the United States, uh, like I did, nothing makes your mouth uh, water more than knowing on a hot summer's day that you can go to Carvel and get some of America's freshest ice cream. Especially if you happen to be able to go on a Wednesday when, as everybody knew, Wednesday is Sunday. Buy one, get one free. Yeah, Wednesday Sunday. Uh, welcome to Cooking Issues. I uh, have some special guests. First, I'll go through. We got a full house of it right with us. We got Jackie Molecules to my right. How you doing? Great. We got John to my left. What's up? Not a whole lot. As usual, Nastasia <laughs> the Hammer Lopez. Hi, hi. Yeah, yeah. And Joe Hazen rocking the panels. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, you can call your questions. If you're a Patreon listener, you can call your questions to 917-410-1507. That's 917-410-1507. But special, we have two special guests. One... Okay, first is Seth Godin. I'll just let you know, um, longtime friend of the show, uh, you know, blogger extraordinaire, uh, author whose most recent book is The Practice, Shipping Creative Work in 2020, uh, bestseller, available, you know, wherever fine books are sold. I hesitate to mention the A word because crap no. on them. A, a big poo on their, on their, flaming poo on their porch. Uh, but, uh, so, you know, the, so the... The, the fundamentals of, of like of most of the uh, books of yours that I've uh, read is kind of like uh, they they are kind of in short chunks trying to get people into kind of a more kind of uh, creative uh, zone. Would you say that's accurate? Yes, it's much better than being called a marketing specialist. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it's so funny. Like, hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk about it later. But I just uh, did a seminar for Tales of the Cocktail, which we should put up a, a link to it on our on our thing, John. Already done, Dave. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> To the video? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, aren't you the best? Lincoln bio, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Lincoln bio. It's like Lincoln Park, but better. Exactly. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> so uh, on like tr- how to maintain creativity and, you know, one of the through things in your, in your book is you just have to work at it, right? You just have to work and do some work, right? Exactly. And uh, my friend Kathy, who's here, which you're going to introduce in a second, is a prime example of this. And I learn from her every day because she shows up and she does the work. All right. So also ostensibly, we are calling you because you have some things to say about the Everything Bagel. We'll get to that. But when you were first on the program back when we were at that other network and uh, you said, I happen to know the person. I don't know how Carvel came up because it does as, as it does, because it, it, it really is a delicious product. Uh, you, you said, I know the person who invented Fudgy the Whale. I was like, shut up. I was like, first of all. Like, Fudge, Fudgy the Whale, like, I'm pretty sure came down the mountain with the tablets. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, <laughs> you know. Not quite. Yeah. Not and, quite. and you said, no, no, I really, I know her. I know the person. I was like, I was like, come on. I was like, you got to get her back on the show. And lo and behold, this many years later, she is here. Kathy Dumas, the inventor. Uh, I, let me see if I get the year right. 1977? 40 years ago. 40 years, like, 40 years 40 years ago. ago last year. Oh, last year. So it was later. It was 70. Yeah. It was it's like, a, well, 80, 1980. I remember it very well as a child, which came first. Okay, let's just explain. Explain Carvel ice cream for those of people who don't have the good fortune of having grown up uh, on our coast. Carvel ice cream was a um, saucer, still is a saucer franchise, um, which later developed into not just doing something for nine months, 
but doing something year-round. And Mr. Carvel decided to make um, novelties and cake and everything so that the store would operate year-round. Um, wonderful ice cream, as healthy as it could be at the time. Um, superb ingredients. And he was a, a man who basically lived and died by this product. Really. It, it also it had, a, it had a relatively low overrun, right? It was relatively dense compared to other soft serves. I'm not going to say that Mr. Softy has a lot of overrun in it, but Carvel is a relatively low overrun product, right? 30, 35% at the time, yes. Yeah. Which, and, which actually is the amount of air that goes into a product. Norm, there are a lot of the companies are almost 100%, so it's, uh, you know, 50% air, 50% product. But, um, no, Carvel was very, very low. And the reason that being, the less air, of course, the smoother the product, the smoother it is when it freezes. So for, so every, for, every, kilo, for every kilo of base you're putting in, uh, for, for, every, for every liter of base you're putting in three, 350 milliliters only of air instead of another whole liter of air. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Uh, and, but his claim at the time, I remember very distinctly, that uh, Tom Carvel, whose voice is iconic, the man did his own spots because it was a franchise. It was a fran- he sold franchises, right? But correct me if I'm he wrong. Franchises. Yeah, he used to go yeah. out of his way to try to help all of his franchisees make money, right? If they made money, he made money. Right. Uh, his his tagline. His ta- before Ben and Jerry's and all of that uh, stuff. When people became aware of overrun and density. His tagline wasn't the low overrun. It was America's freshest ice cream. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Because it was, we were manufacturing every day in the store. It wasn't being sent in. We were actually making every flavor in the store. Every flavor started out as soft serve and then later could be scooped. All of it made every day in the store. And the dairy would deliver, of course, mixed to you two, three, four, five times a week. Now, the, so there, there was no product sitting anywhere. It was ne- nothing was ever delivered frozen. Everything came in refrigerated and, and fresh, yes, at the time. Also, Westchester's own baby, Carvel from Westchester, Westchester shout out. It's not a Long Island thing. I mean, they have Carvel on no. Long Island, but it is not a Long Island thing. This is a Westchester situation. Correct. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, so I had heard now. You just said earlier that it was a way to extend into the winter months the business, but I also heard that it was uh, a way to use the leftover soft serve at the end of the night. You would put them into the cake molds, and then they wouldn't get wasted, right? Correct. Absolutely correct. Mr. Carvel always said it's kind of like Italian food, Kath. It's always cherry syrup ice cream, crunch, crunch syrup, cherry ice cream, whatever way the novelty can be manipulated to make it look like something different, taste like something different, use all your ingredients. You know, he, he was an immigrant, and he firmly believed that everybody had the right to make a good life. And the best way to do it was to absolutely maximize everything that you had with a minimal amount of cost. Now, and, uh, and that's what he tried to do. Now, a couple of things. One, was he a nice guy or not? Not that it matters because his ice cream is, it was, was on point. Was he, a, was he a, 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 a good guy or not a good guy? I mean, I loved his voice growing up, even I, though it was bizarre. <laughs> I loved him. Uh, he was, for me, he was like a grandfather figure. I met Mr. Carbell. I was 17. He was 65. Um, so it was a different relationship than, let's say, 
the executives already working for the company. Uh, most of his franchisees liked him because they knew he put in the work. He was a hard worker. They had to work hard. He understood what they were going through, um, but he was tough. He could be extremely tough. If you were five minutes late in the morning, he'd look at that watch and say, you know, good evening. Literally, I was getting married, and we were on the phone, and I'm going, TC, can I just go get married? And we could finish this conversation a little bit later. He was like, all right, kid, go ahead, go get married. (laughs) (laughs) Really? But he always called me kid. Um, because we met, I met young and, um, a really interesting man. You, you liked him or you didn't, you had to understand, you had to be a hard worker. You had to work hard. You had to believe in the product. You had to do things right. There was no shortcuts ever anywhere. How could you not believe in the product? Yeah. You know, it's very, I've had three bosses in my life and, Three of them, I mean, I've had others, but these three, that and the boss that I have now, obviously, too, very much the same. Um, hardcore, believe in their product, believe in, truthfully, the people that work for them, and um, they will do anything that they can as long as you are giving your part, too. So, to me, Mr. Carvel, Helene, and someone else named Joanne Schoenfeld is not here with us anymore, Perfect people, great people to work for because they love the product they're making. Nice. Now, no other way to say it. For those who can't picture Tom Carvel, he, first of all, you have to listen to his voice. He looks like a 1960s era comedic actor. He looks kind of like a Buddy Hackett with a mustache, right? I mean, he's got, yeah. I mean, I just, the guy has character written all over his face. Anyway, uh, so enough of that. We're here to talk about a specific Carvel item Fudgy the Whale. Give us, first of all, what came first? First of all, sorry, a lot for people, a lot to unpack for people who aren't Carvel people. So okay. the, there's two main cakes in the, in, in the Carvel universe, right? There's Cookie Puss and there's Fudgy the Whale, right? Now, just so you know, Cookie Puss looks like Tom Carvel. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's true. Okay. Uh-huh. But Fudgy the Whale exactly. is also Santa Claus, P.S., First, oh yes. Yeah. Now, were you? Mm-hmm. Were you also the reason that were you like we could turn this into Santa too? Was that you, or is that somebody else? Was we had a group, we're a group together, and every mold that we made, um, and there were several. Just think of the pumpkin mold, like Dumpy the pumpkin became, you know, Mother's Day basket and became cookie puss and just crazy stuff. I never, you I never, I never asked have, for a pumpkin. Fudgy, I asked for. Cookie puss, I asked for. Yep. You had to because there was only a limited amount of space in the store. You had to max out every mold that you had, and you only had so much real estate to keep this inventory in. So you had to invent a lot of things to do with a great art team, and um, you had to make sure that and, – and it wasn't once the mold was developed. It was – wasn't the mold was not developed to be this, this, and this. It was developed to be one thing. And after that, then it was, okay, now what else can we do with it? How else can we use it? Sure. Now you the only time you, he actually yep. he changed Fudgy the Whale um, was because he had a problem with the first mold and the tail kept falling off. And that's why he became Fudgy. Because originally he was done like a regular Carvel cake. 
but I couldn't get the tail to stop breaking. It was just so narrow at one end. It was like a nightmare. Every time I make the cake, the tail would fall off. And finally, we talked to him. I said, you know, TZ, can't do this anymore. I, we have to cover this. We have to do this somehow. Okay, kid, go downstairs, do something, you know. And we, I had fudge out on the out on the container and covered the tail with fudge. It held it together. It held up for photography. And that's how he became fudgy. Huh. All right, so why a whale? Because Mr. Carvel wanted a whale. It was a Father's Day promo. He wanted a fish, and we're all looking at him like he lost his mind. I said, TC, fish and ice cream, this is not a go. And he insisted and insisted. And he kept saying we brought him goldfish and salmon. And, I mean, it was crazy the amount of fish that these people were drawing and doing. And, no, it's not good enough. No, I want more character into it. No, it's got to be child-related uh, no, I don't want it to be off of any other character in the world. And little by little by little. And then he said to me, he says, it's a whale. You know why? Because it's a whale of a dad. I want it to be big. It has to be <laughs> impressive. Yeah. And yeah. that's why it became a whale. Yeah. Not just going out fishing, but you caught a whale. So it you wasn't, wasn't like, it wasn't like, uh, I want a fish. And you're like, how about a sea mammal? It wasn't like that. He eventually we, was no, like, no. yeah. <laughs> No, he wanted he wanted that fish. That was it. Yeah. He yeah. said, "Get no more ties. I don't want to look at ties, hats, golf bags, golf cart. I want something unique for Father's Day." Yeah. And, and it actually became the biggest Father's Day selling item we ever had. They used to run out it of fudgy. Unreal. When I was a kid, like you couldn't. Yeah, how just, much was he? Oh, I don't remember. I was a kid. I didn't pay for anything. <laughs> But like, I want to say nine ninety five. Okay. No, come on, like really? Yeah, yeah. You would go into the store and you'd be like, "Do you have fudgy?" They're like, "We're out of fudgy." And you're like, oh. "We're out of fudgy." Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay. Here, here's the other thing about Carvel, right? Again, no offense to the Baskin Robbins Corporation, but like Carvel, to use a, a, the phrase, was the Cadillac of ice cream cakes. You know what I mean? Back, back in, yeah. and still to this day, they now have them in, in grocery store freezer cases. I don't know where they're made because they're not part of a Carvel franchise. I mean, I don't, I don't even really know how it works anymore. But for those of you that don't have, I believe Carvel invented that weird cookie crumble that goes in the middle of an ice cream cake. Is that true? Yes, he did. You know why? Because cake molded. There was no way you could keep cake fresh and put it in, into cake. It was really hard. We were cutting round circles. We were cutting squares. You were losing too much. It was wasted. Some people, it would mold. And he said, no, no, no. I want fresh product. I want fresh something. And he said, all right, TC, bake it. Bake it. See if you can make it hard and crumble. And he said, no, that's not enough. And how are we going to preserve it? How are we going to hold it? So we have this product called brown bonnet, which is what a cone was dipped into and it hardened on the shell on the outside, which was basically a, a chocolate shell enhanced with a coconut oil, which mm. helped it stay hard and durable. And after baking cake, and we were making flying saucers at the time, and flying saucer crackers always had breakage. Uh-huh. And, he, and he looked at me and he goes, here it is. This is it. All this breakage from these flying saucer crackers, we're going to make Throw some bonnet in it, kid. We throw some brown, this chocolate bonnet makes it even crunchier, holds it delicious in the ice cream, and from then on, there you go. That, that crumbly stuff makes my mouth water. For those of you that don't know, Flying Saucer is the Carvel ice cream sandwich. It's kind of like a, 
a, would you call it a, the cookie, a daisy-shaped cookie with the swirl? But you got to get the swirl. Yeah. As, you, as you put the ice cream onto the lower cookie, you got to give it a little <laughs> bit of a twist, right? You know, when, if you went to work for Carmel, you were first tested to see how you could work in an ice cream machine. And you had to make flying saucers. And you have to do the two and a half swirls, get the right weight. And if you pass the test and you made your flying sauces correctly, then you got the job. So my sister-in-law, Miley Carpenter, who uh, started and runs the Food Network magazine, one of her early jobs, like a lot of people's first job, was McDonald's. And she ran their ice cream machine for exactly one day because she used to just sit there trying to figure out how tall she could make the cone. You know, that is, that's not easy. And, try, and the worst thing is trying to make a cone for a television commercial or a photo shoot and have it stand up and have it not melt before the shoot is done. Really, was a nightmare. Well, you guys and it did, had to be the exact weight. You, you guys didn't like the hyper-tight swirls, right? You were kind of like a, a mid-range swirl. Like, you never mid-range. did the straight up and down, but a mid-range, like a, like a graceful a graceful swirl. It had to because we turned three-quarters of them upside down. Remember... Had to be compacted, had to be turned in, had to stick well because we were turning them in to cones that were dipped all the time. All right, so one last secret, maybe you can divulge. I, uh, Go ahead. For people who like know me with cakes, with the exception of like, uh, I like a. I like the icing on a carrot cake. I like a like a, that kind of a cream cheese icing. I'm not a buttercream mm-hmm. man. Carvel's ice uh, icing on the Carvel cakes on point. I love to eat that stuff. Like like that weird texture, that like frozen fatty, but not too buttery. Yep. Like what is that you icing know, on the Carvel cake? So Mr. Carvel's brother actually um, helped invent that, and we made that. It was a whipped topping powder that his his brother had made and we mixed that with Carvel ice cream mix and made our own whipped topping in house to decorate cakes with. Wait, so it's like a it's like a base, it's like a mix of ice cream base and cool whip? Yes. Yes. Oh. Kind of. But the <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. Now wait, let me just for, for Cookie Puss was before Fudgy? Cookie Puss was after Fudgy. After Fudgy. Were you involved in the Cookie Puss or no? All of them. All of them. <laughs> so, oh, my God, all of them. After Fudgy, were you like, I mean, how much swagger did you have in your step after <laughs> Fudgy came out? You know what? To tell you the truth, none of us had swagger. None of us realized the importance of Fudgy until many years later. Yeah, I mean, so you didn't, you didn't really think, like, there's all of these kids who are jonesing after this, uh, after this no. ice cream? no. Really, really, no. It was only until people started to really kind of laugh with Tom over commercials and what he did. And it just was you just didn't realize it at the time, really. We, most of us didn't even believe that this would even work the first time. We were like, oh, this Father's Day is going to be a disaster. Even some of the franchisees, everybody was so hesitant, thought it was so out of the box. And it was incredible when it worked. And then it just took off. Then it was like, okay, let's make it into this. Let's make it into that. Let's do it with this. And it's a whole different ballgame completely. So when you're slicing a fudgy the whale. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Seth, okay. do you, Seth, do you have like a, is this the phenomenon? Like, do you have a way to explain what happened since this is your. I, I think it was okay. just so different, so unique, and such a novelty. And it's had ice cream and fudge and what else did you want it wasn't round it didn't look like a birthday cake it was perfect for father's day and then 
People just wanted it after that for every occasion. So we stopped making it just one time of year. It, it kind of continued to go all year round. Well, maybe that's why it was always out, because you guys only brought it out on certain days, and my kid brain didn't know that. I was like, I want a whale! I want a whale! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Nastasia, what I, what I think we're seeing here is a phenomenon, which is it was the first celebrity cake uh. that Tom's incessant radio advertising made the cake famous. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why it was even more delicious than even, say, Cookie Puss, because it's like, you know, comparing uh, Tom Cruise to a, uh, a second tier star in the firmament. You <laughs> felt like you were in the presence of something important. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. 100 percent true. Very true. So Very are, true. Are you are you a cut through the head lady or are you a cut through the tail lady? That's what I need to know. I'm cut through the tail all the time. Trust me, I had so many problems with that tail. I cut the tail. <laughs> <laughs> Always the tail. I never wanted to make that cake again. Really, oh, I man. must have made fifty for the first commercial easily. And easily, because we, we made we made all the commercials in house. You know, and um, oh my god, yes. Now, Easily 50 of them. When Fudgy becomes Santa, what happens to the other part of the tail? How do you decorate that? I, I can't picture him so you, as Santa. You, yeah, you turn him upside down. You kind of stand him so the tail is up in the air, all right? And it becomes part of his hat. It's a red hat, and then it's got a little ball on the other part of the tail. Oh, yeah. A white Let me see a white little, um, little fuzzy uh, little ball there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's legit. It's I'm red, right. and then... Jack showing us a picture. The bottom of the whale has got all swirls with a beard, and you put a Santa face on it, and you're done. Yeah. And it's whole 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 good. All right. I I had a question in from a listener who wants to know uh, how you trained all the franchisees to have such neat handwriting. It was part of the training course. We had had the trainees for 14 days, for two weeks straight. They came to stay with us in Westchester. And they worked, there was, of course, there was schooling, but they actually worked in the stores. They worked side by side with us, and they went through cake decorating courses, cake handwriting courses. What was harder, the handwriting or piping the perfect shells on the outside of the uh, thing? I'd say the handwriting, the shells you could get. The handwriting is difficult. I think it's spacing because you never know what you're writing. You know, people ask for happy birthday, Tom, you know, and then somebody will come along and say, no, I need congratulations on your anniversary, Aristotle and, you know, Penelope or something. So it, it's, I think it's harder to do the writing. Yeah, Aristotle Much and fun. Penelope, that would be a difficult. Yeah. That's a lot of writing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of for writing sure. for one cake. You know, now I know what yeah. to do to really kind of uh, freak out uh, a franchisee. I'll just oh, show please. up and ask for a very long <laughs> Very long uh, statement, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. So, what, what are the fa- what are, like what failure? I didn't even remember the pumpkin. That's how little of a that's how little of a of a of a impact it made on me compared to Fudgy and Cookie Puss, which you know I legitimately think of a lot. Like what what like, what, mm-hmm. what were your main failures? Uh, what were your main failures there? Because everyone likes to hear uh, uh, the failure that helped you do something else better. Well, Fudgy was a failure originally only because we couldn't get him to stick together. But eventually, it worked. And um, I think some of the other failures maybe were John and Priscilla the Pilgrims. Um, 
you missed them somewhere. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we also had Tom the Turkey. Uh, oh, I think, wait, do I, do I remember that? When was that? What year was that? Oh, the years I don't remember. But um, mm. they came after Dumpy the Pumpkin. And, um, <laughs> you know, I can't it's so funny to say these names now. Dumpy the Pumpkin. I mean, the thing is, like, yes. like, like, uh, I mean, like, look, Nastasia and I appreciate self-deprecating oh, love humor. It. Love, love it. it. But, like, you know, of course. Of course. you know, Dumpy? I mean, like, when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, we had the Great Pumpkin, right? Linus was the Great Pumpkin. You know what I mean? Like, that's a, like, you're like, hey, what's your pumpkin's name? Dumpy. Dumpy. <laughs> I want to see John and Tish. He always liked, I mean, there were a lot of other names, which I'm not even going to go through. But there were, it, it, if it clicked to him and it made him laugh and he thought it was funny, then it went with it. Nice. Uh, and for those mm-hmm. of you that, are, that don't live here but you come out here, like I still legitimately believe Carvel ice cream is a great product. I'm for it. I'm 100% for it. Um, oh, I haven't had I, it in I a couple of years. But I, oh, you know what's really sad? Uh, I heard that in uh, 2008, the original in Hartsdale closed down. Why would they do that? Why didn't they? Why didn't they landmark that thing? I never understood. I I have no idea why they did. They just knocked the whole thing in. It's like an Andy says or something. It's really upsetting that that happened. Yeah, I mean, to me. so recent. To me. You know what I mean? And yeah, you and, would have thought the corporate, at least corporate, because Carvel sold. He sold the business um, just before he died, and um, one sold it and then got sold again. I think it's on its third owner now, and. Um, the importance loses. I think the, for some reason, when the owner has the business, it's so different than when investors come in or corporate comes in or hedge fund comes in. You lose so much. You, it's just it's lost. Yeah, I don't want hedge it fund. Is. I don't want hedge fund Carville. I don't want my hedge. <laughs> I don't want hedge fund Carville. You know, or like that guy from Billions who b- bought that pizza joint. And eviscerated it. Yeah, don't want that. Uh, yes. so and that's what happened. So now we're entering the section of the program where we talk about uh, not just invention of, f- of fudgy. Carvel is sometimes credited as popularizing and by some people inventing the whole soft serve business in, in the, the United States. And the, so there, that's a competing claim, right? And the other competing Correct. claim that we have Seth on to talk about is uh, the everything bagel. So I don't know which one you want to tackle first. I mean... Uh, I mean, I think by all accounts, I mean, from my opinion on the soft serve debate, it's like whether or not there was another human being who made a soft ice cream. Because all, all, as Tom Carvel said in many interviews, all ice cream is soft when you make it. He said this many times back, back when he was alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you can't uh, make it yeah. hard. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so, like, and so like uh, regardless of, and you know. And this was accidental. You know, it was truthfully an accident. Yeah, you said his, he, he said his truck broke down, right? His truck broke down. He was scooping at the time, and um, he, it, it product became soft, and he tried to hold it together as much as he could to keep it something to sell. And um, he said people were liking this very much, and he said, oh, no, 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 I think I have to keep this in a machine. All the machinery, he did. All of that. Um, it wasn't like he went out and bought an ice cream machine. He developed it in the, in the plant. And um, he borrowed the money, obviously, from his wife, Agnes, to uh, do all of this. And um, it's a true story. It's an absolutely true story. And uh, he just wanted to make sure that the ice cream could sit in this machine for the length of time, keep its consistency, 
and be served always at the same temperature and always have the same product. Yeah, so you guys weren't using tailors or electrofreezes or anything like that? Uh, no, we were actually, in, some, in the original, there were some tailor machines in and out of the plants, but most of the, most of the machinery was built at um, Neverhead Avenue in Yonkers. Wow. Yonkers. You don't yeah. think of Yonkers as being like an ice cream machine capital, but now I w- now I will, <laughs> now I will, and and for those oh, of you, you will. yeah, for those of you that don't no, know, it's it was a- attached to the carpet shop. Right. You know, it's attached <laughs> to all of that. It's part of all of that. Like soft serve ice cream is actually a difficult problem because you don't know when you're going to draw it, and so it can't over whip. But you have to get the right amount of overrun, and it has to draw, and the texture Correct. has to be the same. Not an easy problem. No, but you do it with a bunch of controls and, you know, time and temp controls, how many times it's going to move within that circulating cylinder, how cold it's going to get, how it shuts on and off. You have all these complicated little – I was – he actually let me going through school. I worked probably in every part of the corporation. I've fixed machines. I have worked in legal. I have worked in uh, contract, worked in – Training, you know, worked in stores, worked in the field. But it's amazing how much you learn and how much you, he did himself to make sure that everything was done. So working in the plant, in the manufacturing part of the machinery, I was able to see how all of this was put together. And it's a pretty, pretty unique way to make sure that that product is consistent. Nice. Mm. Mm-hmm. So... Now for a second, let's talk everything bagel. So okay. I uh, here's another thing people might not know. that it, it, Unless you're like roughly my age or older, right, you grew up where an everything bagel was always a thing, right? But in the 70s, it wasn't a thing necessarily. Like I don't remember everything bagels. When I was a kid, it's like, what do you want? I want a poppy. I want I want a salt bagel. Sesame. I want yeah, mm-hmm. sesame. Mm-hmm. I want a plain. Yeah. Right? At some point, you know, uh all of a sudden everything bagel was everywhere and then all of a sudden people started taking credit for quote unquote inventing it, right? And uh I forget the name of the person who claimed to have invent first claimed to have invented some guy named Gussin. Uh David Gussin who like a classic thing claims as like a, a high school student to have swept up a bunch of stuff off of a, off the floor of the oven, thrown it onto a bagel and been like, I invented the everything bagel. Unlikely story. But Seth, unlikely. unlikely. Especially skipping it off the field. Yeah, floor. right? I mean, come on. For anyone who's baked anything, uh, the, the stuff burns. The stuff that falls off is burnt. It's burnt. You know what I mean? It burns. That's what the, de- the bottom of a deck oven does. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh but Seth, you were like, I worked in a bagel shop prior to this 1980, and we were making an everything bagel. Explain. Okay, I did not invent the everything bagel. This needs to be made clear to <laughs> no, no, my no. progeny and to anyone else in the world. Yeah, yeah, I didn't say you claimed to invent it. Of, you just claimed to say that you, you knew you about it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Other people have claimed that I claimed, but uh, I did not. Right. What I did in my blog post, I wrote a blog post in 2008 in which I said, if this person invented the everything bagel, then I must have invented it because I was, in 1976, a 16-year-old teenager. I had gotten a job at the local bagel place in Buffalo, New York by walking in and saying, I have 10 years of experience eating bagels. And for whatever reason, they hired me. And in the first week, it was a new place. They didn't have a policy about employees eating the food. 
and my coworkers and I ate hundreds of dollars worth of bagels and locks. Checks out. Um, and they made a new policy, but they didn't fire me. And then my job was to clean the, the mixer. And the mixer is uh, big enough to hold a couple people. And uh, as I was cleaning it, it's all dried, hard dough. Uh, I would turn it on and off to see if I'd missed a spot. And I missed a spot, and I put my hand in to slow the blade down, and it started pulling me into the mixer ah! a certain depth. Was this a spiral mixer? And so I had to decide. It was like a big dough mixer, yeah. Like a spiral or like a whole I had bar? to decide. Yeah, yeah. yeah, bigger than a whole bar. And I had to decide, should I break my finger by pulling it out, or should I die? So I pulled, I broke my finger on the bagel mixer. Oh! And the bagel, the bagel guy screamed and yelled at me, the owner. So I didn't last very long in the job. But my thesis is this. For something to actually be an invention, it almost always happens when the people around you say, that'll never work. That inventions occur when someone has the boldness to lean into something that, that a lot of other people are saying, that doesn't make any sense. And if you've ever made bagels in a bagel store and you've got the four bins of toppings, it is obvious that you're going to make an everything bagel. It is not a leap of faith. <laughs> so I did not invent the everything bagel, but I definitely sold everything bagels in 1976. So which finger did you break and was it ever the same? Well, my body is a little bit of a battlefield, considering how lucky I was growing up. But uh, I believe it was the uh, ring finger on my right hand, and it ruined my billiards game. But other than that, I've been fine. Wow. Wow. And uh, another question that, you know, inquiring people are going to want to know, while Buffalo is part of New York State, it is not in any way related to New York City. So does the Buffalo bagel, of which I've never had, Buffalo famous for many food things. You got your beef on weck. You got your wings, you got that seafoam can, all that stuff, right? Great. Uh, now, a buffalo bagel, is it more beholden to a New York bagel or is it more beholden to a Canadian Montreal-style bagel? Uh, so the guy who started the thing was from New York. Buffalo, you are correct, is 400 miles away. It is more culturally aligned with Cleveland than it is with New York. But I did not taste a Montreal bagel until 10 years after. Uh, it, there was no sugar in them, no malt in them. They were classic boiled New York City bagels. So you think you, you, you're standing by, you're saying it was, a, it was a good quality bagel? I'm sure it was a good quality bagel. Yeah. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah. All right. and, and the proof is they went out of business. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so why is, that, why is that the proof? I like that. Well, because if you look at lenders... And you look at the whole idea of the frozen bagel, and you look at the idea that, uh, you know, for bagels to become popular, they had to become unbagels. The real bagels, the kind that are still hard to find in New York City, most people don't go out of their way for them because they're special. And um, I think it's better to make something special than to make something popular. Speaking of Cleveland... Wasn't Cleveland the place where that person posted that thing where they cut the bagel the wrong way and they were like, what? What's wrong with this? <laughs> and then someone was like, there's a wrong way to cut a bagel. Of course there's a wrong way to cut a bagel. It's like, you know, when, 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 uh, when my kids you know, were like, oh, I need to juice some citrus. And they cut the citrus the wrong way. I'm like, there's a way to right. cut it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, a ba- what, what am I going to do with this bagel? You know what I mean? That you've, you've done it. Like, it's, listen, people, it's okay to slice a bagel 
properly and then to cut that half of the bagel into a quarter. This is fine. You can do this. You know what I mean? But like just handing somebody a bagel that you've, I don't get it. It was St. Louis. Well, let me see, Jack. It's just right, look at this. This person like put it into an egg slicer. Uh, what the hell is wrong with them? Uh, you have to wait for it to go stale and do that and turn it into bagel chips, which bagel chips are fine. There's no there's no dishonor in a bagel chip. A bagel chip is a fine thing. Uh, you got to use the bagels that are left over. Oh, my God. But Lenders is such a sad bagel, story. Isn't bagel it? chips are the fudgy the whale of the bagel world. Ah. Wow. 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 All right. Uh, so in uh, in your, I learned some things uh, from your book, uh, the practice. One is that you're not a fan of Gilligan's Island. Do you think it's bad television? Well, everyone knows that Gilligan's Island is bad television. It's just famous television. Back to this idea that it, there were only three shows on at a time, so the networks all got a third as a given. That's table stakes, and. When you, you know, if the professor is so smart, why can't he build a radio? <laughs> All right. Well, let me, let me, as someone, okay, so Gilligan's Island, I believe, uh, started in 1963. And here's the amazing thing about Gilligan's Island it only ran for three years. Gilligan's Island only ran for three years. Only two of those were in color. The vast majority of the ones they showed when I was a kid were the color ones, right? Uh, after Bob Denver, who is Gilligan, pitched a fit and said that he wasn't going to do uh, the show unless they added Professor and Marianne to the theme song. God bless. I, re- I learned that reason- recently that— And you love the show. Well, again, you got to understand, you do. It, for those that grew up in New York uh, no, City— No, which lady do you like the most? Marianne. Everyone's a Marianne man. <laughs> Marianne. Everyone's a Marianne. Uh, I mean, come on. A- anyone who's a ginger man is, is lying or like whatever. It, it, everyone's a Marianne man. Wow. Uh, I mean, it's just true. Uh, someone contradict me. Okay. Uh, now, the, 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 the thing about Gilligan's Island is that uh, they, they played it the same time every day, right? And... Uh, because there was only two seasons in color that they played a lot, you saw the same episodes every. So it was the YouTube kind of of my generation. We didn't have VCRs, we couldn't rewatch things all the time. But like because there was this like small number of Gilligan's Islands that were relatively small, you know, short episodes, you could kind of reabsorb them. They became kind of like like kind of old friends to you. You know what I mean? Like the cosmonauts, like the. Uh, Exactly. Yeah, you know the uh, the the uh, they whatever it was it was Carmen. What was it? It was uh, it was uh, they did to the tune of Carmen. They did Shakespeare to the tune of Carmen, and then somehow the producer got rescued, but they didn't, and then he became a Broadway hit because they had a radio they could listen to, but not they could not talk back out. I mean, like <laughs> stuff is genius. I mean, you know. Uh, but I understand how you know you were you're a couple years older than me. You're a little more of a jaundiced view of Gilligan's Island as good TV. And yes, I mean, I guess from a what's it what's it from a more objective criticism point, wow. The Sopranos is better TV than Gilligan's Island, wow. I'm sure. But you know, we can all agree on that. <laughs> I guess, I guess. Uh, so, uh, what uh, like are you interested in? Maybe I mean, I don't want to like you know force you to you know give out like your your secrets here for free on our show. But do you want to talk a little bit about because um, I think a lot of the people who listen to the show are interested in how to maintain the drive to be creative, both in, in, in making new menu ideas or maybe even new concepts uh, for their place or um, just how to stay 
mentally because to me the hardest part the, the thing that makes you me most nervous is always wondering whether i'm still going to be interested enough to stay fresh tomorrow you know what i mean like it's like am i going to still feel like what what i'm going to do i always feel okay when i'm just working it's when somebody asks me what i'm going to do that i get nervous because then i'm like i don't know i don't know i'm just going to work you know what i mean do you like what do you think well you, one of the reasons that you are a hero to, to me and to a lot of people is because of your unbridled enthusiasm for better. And I would like to not be known as someone who didn't like Gilligan's Island or as the person who invented the everything bagel, but I would like to be known as somebody who is not an enemy of quality. <laughs> and wow, wow. What is going on in cooking, and there are so many reasons this show should be called Cooking Issues, but one of the issues is this. There's a tension between the regular kind, between doing it the same way, between getting your mise en place correct and making it reliable, and the tension that comes from doing something that might not work. And a whole bunch of the molecular gastronomy stuff, a whole bunch of the things that you know you were doing with cocktails at the bar, all of these things are on the frontier. And we can't have a frontier if we don't have the place where we started. And that's why I thought Kathy would be such a great connection for the show, because Kathy has lived on the frontier, but also been a defender of quality throughout her whole career, including where she bakes now. And the same thing is true for the way you approach cooking because you know what came before you've done the reading and so for people who are interested in the kind of cooking you are describing it's i know how to make it the way they made it in 1950 or 1990 but i'm also gutsy enough to imagine changing something and aware enough to listen to what happens after i change it to see if i did the right thing or not yeah you have to be you know, willing to be wrong true, because i work with helene every day and we go into that bakery, and it's always a, a new challenge. Helene will say, well, why don't you do this? You know, and I'll look at her, and it's a completely new way for me to bake anyway because I'm used to butter, sugar, cream. I'm not used to sorghum and brown rice, white rice, and all of this stuff. And she'll say, just let's try. Whatever happens, happens. Let's do it. Let's experiment with it. Just go with it. Well, yeah, well, let's let's back up a little bit. We haven't we, have, we haven't described the bakery yet. Let's talk. I presume this is oh, the link between this is the link between I assume the link between uh, you, Kathy, and Seth That's is the bakery. Correct. By the way, bakery, which is known as and and it's been it was I think relatively early in in being like a, a, a like a, a gluten a gluten free bakery. Uh, and how many locations do you have now? We have four locations. And we also do a lot of baking for Whole Foods and for a lot of other people. All right. So now we've, intro- now, now we've introduced the bakery. Now, now, please, go, go ahead. And every day, if we're not experimenting or we're not challenging, yes, we can make a muffin, but can you make a muffin that does this, this, and this? I think that's the only, it's, it's the only way to grow. It's the only way to keep fresh. It's the only way to stay ahead of the curve. And it also makes work a lot more fun. It, it's enjoyable. Uh, the same old, same old gets 
gets tiring, gets bland. And I think that's what happens to people if they're not willing to take the chance or take the risk. And that's what we do every day. We take the chance and we take the risk. What do you, what and do you, I think that's why it's successful. What are your thoughts on the kind of explosion of people who are working in that space, in the gluten-free space now, who are interested in the way things taste rather than in, like, you know, some sort of just bizarre idea of what health is? Because, you know, when I was growing up, as soon as you went into any, and as soon as you went into any one niche away from mainstream, you, in order to try to capture as much of that market, you would do all of the things. You'd be like, well, I'm not going to use any sugar, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do that. You know what I mean? Which is kind of a nightmare. That's Correct. why a lot of that stuff tasted so, so, so bad. Uh, but there's such an explosion now, like just in the past five, six years. What, do, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's, it's funny that you say that because Helene will always say to me, if we'll make something, do you like it? And she's, and she does that because she knows I come from a different, a different ingredient place. And I'll say, you know, Helene, this is incredible. It's, it's actually not only what the customer needs, but it tastes good. And this, is how, and this works. And that's what we strive to do every single day. Not only make it because somebody can't have it, it's allergy-free, it works with this diet, but it also tastes I mean, there's a lot of baked goods where, frankly, the gluten is just getting in the way. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just getting in the way. Like, a, um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I do have a gluten-free question from one of our Patreon uh, members. And so maybe as uh, both of you, you know, being uh, experts in this field and also Jack just coming back from Mexico, we have someone who is going to Mexico City on their honeymoon, uh, you know, oh. later, on, later on this year. But... Uh, one of them is uh, can't can't do can't do gluten and wants to know whether anyone has uh, recommendations for that in Mexico. Anything? Have you guys have you guys been? To, I, I have I have not been to Mexico City with an eye towards not having gluten. I mean, there were a ton. It seemed like most places uh, had. I options. haven't eaten gluten in thirty years, unrelated to the bakery, because I hurt my shoulders a long time ago, not in a bagel accident, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> And there are the, the two words that are so magical are corn tortillas, yeah. 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 because yeah, corn yeah. tortillas are gluten-free. I found two or three extraordinary restaurants. They're not hard to find on Yelp. Some of the, the, the cutting-edge uh, regional cuisine in Mexico City is off the charts. And I haven't been there in five years, but it, it's worth seeking out. Yeah, Rosetta is a great bakery, too, and they had a ton of gluten-free. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think corn has taken on a lot. I think they've also known how to incorporate. They have a different sugar. They use a piloncillo. They use different flavorings. Um, he's going to be fine, and he's going to enjoy the food in Mexico for sure. Yeah, their tortilla game really is on point. New York City is getting a little bit oh. better, but, I mean, uh, there are some places that are making decent nixtamal. But, like, you know— <laughs> I mean, again, I haven't been in five years either. The, the, the correct answer is I need to go back to Mexico. Yep. <laughs> you know, I haven't really, been, I haven't oh, yeah. been anywhere. I haven't, tra- I haven't done, I haven't traveled since the, since the COVID. I haven't been on, uh, on an airplane since the COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let me just get, I mean, we have a, um, I apologize, guys. We have a, uh, some Patreon questions. And since now we are 
you know, that's what we do for a living now. We have to, we're, we, it's not, Alexander, I'm not saying that your question's not valid. I'm just saying I'm, you know, I'm going outside of the realm of what Seth and Kathy are talking about. Anyway, here's this. Hope you guys are doing fine. I'm trying to make a drink that I have previously made for a competition doable for sale. The problem is it requires a large amount of clarified juice from cloudberries. You can tell we're dealing with a Scandinavian here. Red currants and hops and a hops cordial. Uh, when I originally did it, I clarified the uh, puree using uh, the technique from Liquid Intelligence and a 4 by 100 milliliter centrifuge. Gosh, well, this person's a glutton for punishment, Alexander. Jeez Louise, 100 mils? I will never forget being trapped in a basement in Bogota with one of those tiny centrifuges <laughs> having to make enough product for like 500 people. Everyone else is hanging out in Bogota. Everyone else is, you know, drinking aguardiente and going to the top of the mountain and hanging out, doing all that uh-huh. stuff. And I'm in a basement. You know, uh, w- you know, with the with uh, whatever. Anyway, uh, as you can imagine, that takes uh, uh, a, a lot of uh, problem. Um, so, uh, my plan was to get a Spinzol, the version 2.0, but that's not realistic this year. Uh, it seems well because we haven't made it. Well, look, we're trying, Alexander. Jeez, Louise, you do not know. I mean, maybe you do. How hard it is to get a factory to restart production once they've sold it, and they and all the people who made it before have quit. It's very difficult. All right, get to his question. Especially, wait, especially because, get this, get this. I've never, I think, said the, the actual problem. So listen, listen carefully. This is how stupid the world is. Our original agent in China is a motor manufacturer. That motor manufacturer decided they wanted to be agents for people, so they hooked us up with the company who made this, the actual factory that made the Spinzol. Now, the motor company sells motors to that factory, which is how we got in touch with them. We are now trying to make the Spinzol without that agent because that agent turned out to be less than useful. What's the less than useful? Opposite of useful? Anti-useful? A hindrance to making it? But then, then... Now the problem is is that they can't get the motor from those people anymore because those people won't sell them the motor because they're not our agent on that anymore, nanny nanny poo poo. Then we we can't get a new motor without changing all of the certifications that we have, et cetera, et cetera, yada, yada. Then the company got sold in the meantime, night. Mayor, all we want to do, we for, for over a year and a half, we were saying, push the button, make another run, make another run, do it, do it, do it, and they, we can't. That's what's happening. Anyway, uh, Alexander wants to know, would agar, agar work for this? The cloudberries especially I'm worried about seeing uh, is where they're paying uh, even with the centrifuge. Thanks, and hope everything ends up working out with Booker and Dax. Yes, do agar. Don't do quick agar, though. If you have the time and the cloudberries, all this stuff that you're listing here will last. Do good old-fashioned freeze-thaw. Your yield is going to be higher. And, uh, you know, it's a pain in the butt, but I'm assuming that if you're in Scandinavia, you got freezer space. Just put it outside. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. But, like, you know, freeze it solid. Do, like, you know, uh, two grams per liter of uh, agar. The trick, oh, one thing, I, I would test, I would just test the currents with agar to make sure it sets because cassis sometimes, very heavy tannin skin stuff, sometimes can interfere with agar-agar setting. So you might need to up the percentage uh, 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 a wee bit, but just do some tests on, on, on the freestyle. Uh, anyways, uh, how was that? Was that all right? Was that yes, a good answer? go on. That's it. That was, those okay, are the only two questions. We got, we got the Mexico question, and now we can go back. We've answered all of the, the Patreon questions as, as, far as, I, as far as I know. Oh, if that Patreon listener is in the Discord, they can hit me up directly for that Mexico City recommendations. So what is Discord? It's, like a, it's right here. Look. It's Why like do a, they call it Discord? Well, Why I, would they name it after, after, after well, something contentious? Well, I, I think that context is far enough removed, probably. I don't know. Really? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
It's a good question. Why is it called Discord? All right. Anyway, it's a chat platform, now, and we have a Discord, so you should join if you're a listener. Now, Seth, something else that you brought to my attention in your book, and I'm going to get her name wrong, but her hat, I looked her up on, on, the, on the internet, her hats were amazing. I grew up, I went to art school, some, some people will know this, uh, grad school in, for art, and um, we used to learn uh, about uh, Duchamp all the time and the fountain sculpture, which very famous uh, upside down urinal, which was put, I believe that was into the Armory show sometime in the, in the, mm-hmm. ni- in the 19 teens. 1917. Yeah, 19, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and it was signed, the, 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 the reason you knew it was art, two reasons you knew it was art. One, it was in an art show. That's one. Two, it was signed R. Mutt. R. Mutt. Uh, and the famous picture, and it's one of those classic things that when you're an art student, they teach you because you're like, is it art? You're like, well, of course it's art because we're having this discourse about it right now. If we were, you know? Yep. Come on. Uh, not really Duchamp's work. It's this other person. Want to talk about that? I had no idea. You brought this to my attention. I, I could talk about this all day. Baroness Elsa von Freitag Loringhoven. So here's the deal. She's the original punk, the original downtown New York City punk. And she finds this urinal at a factory in uh, Lower East Side, buys it, and starts treating it like a piece of art. Her neighbor down the hall is the photographer, Arthur Penn. He takes a picture, and Duchamp, trying to be you know, the helpful uncle, it decides to put it out there, and it becomes a sensation. And in his early descriptions of it, he says, my neighbor made this. But over the years, as he confronted artist block, he took more and more credit for it. And by the end of his career, he said it was his. Huh. And the stories here are really fascinating because Duchamp, at some level, is the last artist because what he did was he would go out and buy a rake at a hardware store, hang it at the Museum of Modern Art, and call it a piece of art. Well, once you've done that, it's a mic drop, right? Everything after that, everything post-photography is a concept. And so he invented or proposed or promoted this idea of conceptual art. But it, it broke my heart when I discovered that one of my artistic heroes was also a thief when he never needed to be a thief. He could have just said, yeah, the Baroness did this one. Well, the other thing is, is that that's kind of sad about it is that the story My Neighbor Did This totally checks out with all of his other weird, like he's kind of the Andy Kaufman yeah. of the art world, right? Rose Selavi, all of these things. You know what I mean? So like My Neighbor Did It would be a classic of him thinking, foisting something off. But in reality, he was just taking from somebody, which is mind boggling. And at the time... Like, so freaking typical. I think of, like, you know, uh, Charlotte Perrion and Corbusier, like, all of these kind of, like, toxic, uh, toxic famous dudes taking from uh, women at the time, designers and artists. But I just had no idea that Duchamp was part of that, Duchamp was part of that, that thing. That's kind of depressing. Right? Yeah, no, the, pa- the patriarchy runs deep. And um, my mom was the first woman on the board of the art museum in Buffalo, so I grew up with modern art. And when they shut the Albright Knox a couple of years ago for renovations, they had me come back and I did a tour uh, to sort of take people through this arc. And I worked on it for weeks and it was going to end at a Duchamp uh, Cornell box, which was a little Dadaist thing that he did. And I, I land, 
I race to the, to the museum. I do one run through before all the people arrive. And the Duchamp's not there. It's in storage. And so I, it takes away the whole punchline of the, the arc and the story. But I said to the curator, look, from now on, when you got priceless works of art you want to put in storage, just leave them in my house. You can just keep them in my house. Hey, you speak about price, priceless works of art. Uh, for those of you that are young enough to still have it be a goal to become the president of Yale University, if you become the president of Yale University, you get to choose any work of art that the UAG owns and put it up like in your office and like where and like in your in your like the house where you live. Can you imagine their art collection is so sick. Their art collection is amazing. That would be and, Yeah, the president's house better be climate controlled is all I have to say if they're getting really nice. So stuff. so Seth, John is a John comes from a, a art history. He was an art it, Art history professor at UConn. So, yeah. Uh, yeah so, no, wow. so he's getting mad about the fact that, like, you know, you know what? There's one work of art that I would steal from Yale. It's a small, it's, it's a Max, Max Reichlich is the artist. It's called The Jester. And I feel like my whole life is based around this picture and around uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Those two works, uh, like, I think my whole life is based around it's a jester. With this look on his face, eating a soft-boiled egg, it's dripping down his chin, and he's got a weird jester scepter, and then like a small animal over his shoulder. Love it. I'll find. It, I'll find it. I'll put it up on the. Uh... You've done it before. I mean, it's it's my classic face. It's my. It's it's you know, and it's like it's like that beautiful color on board. You know, work anyway. You know, German weirdness back from the yeah. whatever it was fourteen, fifteen hundreds, whenever. Um, can you say her name again? Because I need people to look up the hat that she was wearing on the on the Wikipedia page. Who the, the uh, name of the Elsa? Yeah, E L S A Elsa von Freitag Loringhoven L O R I N Loringhoven. I mean, that's what, what a great name. Uh, all right, so uh, I'm being told yes that I am officially out of time. Seth, thanks uh, so much for coming on and bringing Kathy the uh, the stories that you have told me about Carvel have just completely reinvigorated my love for Carvel ice cream. I might go out and get some right now. I've, I've made my kids love Carvel ice cream. I mean, Carvel ice cream, again, for those of you that are, I don't know, not in this country or not East Coast people, it's a thing. Carvel ice cream, it's a thing. Am I right about this? Yeah, sure. You're right, 100%. Yeah. All right, guys, thanks Thank so much you. for coming on. What a pleasure. All right, cooking issues. Your participating Carvel ice cream store wants to thank you for being their customer. So every Wednesday is Sunday at your participating Carvel ice cream store. That means buy one, get one free. Naughty Royals are packed four to a box. Buy a box, get one free. Or the new Sunday dinner, the wild cherry Sunday dinner. Buy one, get one free. That's at your participating Carvel ice cream store. Look for the Wednesday is Sunday sign. Thank you.